Hi, we just finished today's episode, and my fantastic guest, Mr. Dick Grace, has uh, has left. Lauren had to split early, so I'm here to say welcome to the show. Glad you're listening. If you would like to have a little fun in Napa Valley, please come and enjoy fabulous wine experience at Judd's Hill. My family winery is located at the south end of Silverado Trail, just one mile north of the town of Napa. For your convenience, we're open seven days a week by appointment. So give a ring. Visiting information is online at judshill.com. While you're there, have a look around at our, well, some of our fun videos. We have our events that are coming up that you could be a part of. And, uh, you know, you could put a little wine in your shopping cart. We've got all kinds of good stuff. And just for being an avid listener, type in coupon code JNVS for Judd's Napa Valley Show. Do that all in lowercase letters. We'll give you 15% off your entire wine order. And if you want a better deal than that, you can join our Judd's Hill Wine Club. It's easy. It's free to join. You get a chance to try all of our wines, attend our wine events, get invitations to other special happenings going on across the country and beyond. And we'd love to have you. It's a good time guaranteed. With all of that said, let's get to today's show. Everyone's a Fingal friend on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show. No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa. Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley Show. Never miss a good chance to shut up, Will Rogers. <laughs> and now, live from Broadcast Park in the beautiful Napa Valley, soon to be broadcasting live from the South Napa Century Center, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. I'm Lauren Mole, and here's your host... John Finkelstein. Thank you very much, Mr. Lauren Mole. Good to see you. And uh, you got a haircut. You're looking sharp. I did. You're buttoned up, quite literally, all the way to the top button. You are. You're ready to hit the town today. I am. Well, I'm actually uh, going to work at 12:30. Uh, okay. Well, that's this ca- afternoon. That's kind of hitting the town. Folks can come see you over at uh, Knob Hill Foods, where uh, you ply your trade as the most courteous of all courtesy clerks. Oh, thanks, John. You're welcome. What's going on? What's new? Oh, uh, well, I recently had my grandparents uh, down here from Lake Almanor recently for uh, Father's Day weekend. Oh, how fun. You had a good time with them? I did. My dad took my grandfather and I to the uh, the Mare Island Museum over in Vallejo. I've yet to go there. People are saying what a great space uh, Mare Island is becoming and the museum as well. I've, I've got to get over there. It is. Yeah, you should. It was, uh, it was an amazing experience. They have a lot of uh, naval stuff there, like the uniforms and uh, model ships. They even have a real working periscope there. Well, I've got to take a look. L- literally. Sure. <laughs> literally take I, a look. And I also got to see the uh, the Navy cadets uh, in action doing a, a drill exercise. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I had a marvelous time. And speaking Good. of the Navy, yeah. Operation with Love from Home is serving the Navy and all the rest of the uh, military branches this weekend by putting together care packages for our troops. Yes. Do you want to? Do you have the information about that? Because I know they're always looking for people to help put those together. I believe it'll be at uh, 10 a.m. 
perhaps at uh, Napa Valley College. Okay, well, if folks want to find out, oper- with Operation with Love from Home, you yes. can look that up. And I'm it's a- so honored to be part of this organization. Yes, it is a good organization, and uh, I appreciate your support of it. Do you have any gigs coming up? Are you singing? Is your video still out there? What do we need to know? Are you at any major sporting events? Uh, not right now at the moment, but uh, we'll let you know. Okay. Well, give a plug for the video anyway. Sure. Well, uh, the video I did, uh, Everybody is a Star, based in Sonoma, is a nonprofit organization that helps uh, special needs individuals like myself showcase our talents in professionally made broadcast quality music videos. And I've done my video, I Just Haven't Met You Yet, by Michael Buble of Canada. This was six years ago. Has it how really fa- been that long? How fast the time goes by. You were just a little kid when you did that. Well, it's a great video, and it can be seen at everybodystar.org. I think I got that yes. right. Everybodystar.org. You can see Lauren Mole's professional video of I'm just not having any fun yet. And you giving me a look. What is it? I just haven't met you yet. I can never get the title of that song right. Well, whatever it is, you do a great job. And it's it's there for all to see. Thanks, Lauren. Oh, you're welcome. So uh, so what's been going on with you, John? Uh, I'm going to get to through it uh, quickly because I want to get to the show. But a few oh, things I want to talk about. Go right things ahead. are great. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Coming up, the Judd's Hill 30th anniversary. You know, my family's been in Napa Valley now for 40 years making wine. Wow. But for the past 30, as Judd's Hill and our big 30th anniversary celebration is coming up next month, that's all I'm going to tell you. Not giving any more information. If you want to find out, come by the winery. We'd love to see you. Or uh, if you're on our mailing list, you'll know. You can join our mailing list. Just go to judshill.com, get all the information about that. The annual Yucapalooza at Oxbow, Friday, August 2nd. It's free, 6 p.m. Bring a ukulele. More mm. details coming, but it's always a fun standing room only event benefiting the Voices Youth Center here in Napa. We will be there, uh, my band, the Maikai Gents, doing our old time Hawaiian music. And we want you to join in the fun with your ukulele. So bring that out August 2nd. I'm doing a wine symposium the very first time at a big tiki event in San Diego. Oh, there you go. That is going to be on August, uh, let's see, 9th. It's the whole weekend there'll be events. And if you go to tikioasis.com, have a look. And uh, you can come to my wine symposium and do all kinds of other fun things. But the main thing I want to talk about, although briefly, is this year's kindness event is coming up August 17th. You've seen the Be Kind buttons. I'm wearing one right now. Very close to this, as you know. But this year, we're opening it up. The past two years, it's really been focused on the Be Kind movement itself and getting that out there. This year, we are going to be bringing in other youth-led and youth-based organizations that work towards the betterment of our community and the quality of life to the people in our community. So more details will come, but please do save Saturday, August 17th, the whole morning into the early afternoon up in Yachtville to come out for uh, Be Kind and these other youth-led organizations, details forthcoming. Oh, that's wonderful. Very excited. That's wonderful. But uh, weren't you actually going to team up with Eric Housley and uh, Elena's Voice to do a combined event? They We have we have bracelets, combined bracelets that are available at the ranch market. I just got one recently. So, great. I want to see you wearing. I should, I'm not wearing mine now. I just admitted to everybody. But I have it. Um, I have got my Be Kind button, and you can get these bracelets at the Ranch Market and an event probably coming soon, and I think they'll be part of this uh, Kindness Day event as well. Okay, take a breath. Here we go. Let's introduce our guest. I know we're going to run out of time for this one, so we're just going to keep rolling and rolling and rolling. We might be here all day, but every word's going to be worth it, I know. Lauren Mole, please do the honors. 
Our guest today works at a quick pace to bring comfort to those in a sick place. For him, it's compassion that he holds in high fashion our friend and role model, Dick Grace. Dick Grace, welcome, sir. Nice to be here. It's really wonderful to have you. I'm going to give you an introduction that you give yourself in your... This is a, it's an autobiography. It's a, this is a, a book you wrote called The Opened Heart. And the first line says, what's so special about Dick Grace? And then you write, absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. I really believe that that's, uh, that's true. I think that... Uh, some of us feel we're special and some of us feel we're lucky and some of us feel we're probably um, not thought about enough, etc., etc. However, um, all of us fit into uh, the human race. Yeah. We're all members. We're all a part of uh, this uh, 7.5 uh, billion people, uh, all swimming along in a, in a, a, uh, a leaky canoe. And we just got to keep on paddling. Yes, and we're going to talk about how you have kept on paddling and how you're helping others to paddle and stay afloat. Let's briefly talk about your background. There's a million articles people can look up about you where they can find this out. But just to give our listeners just, just a sense of who you are, you're a vintner. That's correct. You have been in Napa Valley also 40-ish years. Uh, you came from the financial world, found your way to Napa. We can get into this if you want, but I really want to save uh, the time we have for your current message. Uh, you're the producer of one of the first cult wines out there, Grace Family Vineyards. And these days, you are not these, I mean, for quite some days, you have been on the path of kindness and compassion. And I, I, I would like to know how you got onto that path from this world of you know, financial cons consultation. I don't know exactly what it is. I've never talked to you about your, your world in there. Did I get that kind of right? You were a, a, a consultant, an advisor. Uh, maybe you can tell us what you did. Okay. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I was born in uh, uh, 1938 in Honolulu, Hawaii. So my first memory uh, is actually watching with my brother, uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor from our tree fort, which overlooked Pearl Harbor. You were an eyewitness to this. We were an eyewitness. Oh, my goodness. My brother, uh, myself, my uh, father and mother. So uh, we noticed uh, this uh, explosions down at, uh, at Pearl Harbor. My brother went and got my mother and father, and uh, they climbed up into the tree fort. And my dad hypothesized that uh, the oil storage tanks uh, were exploding for some reason. Mm. And uh, just after that, a Japanese aircraft came down about 50 meters from our uh, front door. And we knew that uh, at that time that there was a war on. And my parents were certain that we were going to uh, be occupied in Hawaii. And so about a year afterwards, uh, they made for the mainland. And I actually grew up in the Bay Area, but always had a close contact with Hawaii and yeah. still do to this uh, this time in my life. Wonderful place. And th were you uh, from a military family? I know you yourself were a, a Marine, U.S. Marine. Was, I was. Was that why you were, your family was in Hawaii or was it other? No. Um, uh, my, uh, my forefathers came to Hawaii in order to do construction work for the missionaries. Oh, I see. And uh, they were very much adventurers, uh, very much uh, risk takers, et cetera, et cetera. 
And uh, my grandfather actually got his start because he did some bootlegging during Prohibition <laughs> down in uh, down in the Hawaii, Honolulu area. Oh, wow. And uh, had a little bit of a reward after he uh, took the rap for bootlegging oh. and uh, uh, started a family firm called uh, Grace Brothers at that time, which is now called Grace Pacific. So our, our name still exists in Hawaii and uh, oh. kind of proud of that as well. Very, very interesting. I'll, I'll look for that next time I'm in the islands where there was some regularity with my love of the music and culture over there. Okay. This is where you've come from. And again, we could spend a lot of time because such an interesting life in all these stages, but I really did bring you here today to get this this message out that you talk about in uh, your book, The Open Heart, and you talk about countless speaking engagements. And I got to witness firsthand myself when a couple months ago, you sponsored an event at the Cameo Theater in St. Helena. It was a, a day of talking about kindness and compassion. And with you on this panel was uh, the esteemed Father Brinkle, Father John Brinkle, right. Tanya Pearson from St. Helena Elementary School, uh, the principal, and my kids, the kindness kids, talking about kindness and the different generational perspectives on it. And it was a showing of the film about you called Take the Hill. Where to even start? Where to even start? This was an amazing day. Uh, you packed the theater. This film certainly struck me. I've known of you for some time. I have yet to sit down. This is why I'm excited now. This is the first time I actually get to sit down and really have a real conversation about this. But this film really opened my eyes to all that you do and have been doing. And I don't think a person left there with a dry eye, happy and sad, uh, happy for the work you're doing and the inspiration that you've given them, sad that some of this work needs to be done, I think. And you saw my younger daughter, Ruby, was, after seeing the, the film and walking up to sit on the panel then to talk, was absolutely overcome, sobbing. Do, <laughs> I'm not sure what the question is. This, I'm feeling emotional myself. This must be a regular occurrence for you that people have these types of reactions when they see what you're doing and get a chance to talk to you. I have a, a basic uh, belief, Judd, uh, yeah. and that is in the goodness of people. Mm. And it's deeply embedded in my consciousness. Um, and I think that it's apparent in most every human being. The problem is that we get distracted. We get distracted by materialism, uh, by busyness, by uh, text messaging and things of this nature. Yeah. Uh, cosmetics, you know, I just often think if people would spend just 10% less time with cosmetics each day and change the C to a K and have it have kindness mm. and think of a practicing kindness each day as a discipline. Uh, I think it would be wonderful. I have a practice on every Friday. I make three phone calls to people I haven't heard of, I know are going through a difficult time in their lives, uh, need a friend, uh, something of that nature. And uh, the number of phone calls is now in the hundreds. And I would say that three or four have been badly received and the other several hundred People are glad to hear, glad I picked up the phone, glad to know that I was walking whatever path they were going, either uphill or downhill, I was walking by their side. I have a very difficult time with any spiritual persuasion that says to their parishioners, we are born bad and must come to them to get good. Mm. 
Uh, I can't accept that personally. I think we're born perfect. And the challenge of a spiritual persuasion or a religion or a philosophy is to stay as close to that goodness as is possible and to not be distracted by those things which often distract us. We feel very, very comfortable, many of us, walking into a Mercedes-Benz dealership or a high-class luxury store or a, a boutique of some type. And yet we don't feel so comfortable around a homeless. We don't feel so comfortable around a leper. We don't feel so comfortable around uh, uh, people with various disorders. And uh, I do. I see the heroic side. And I also see, number one, I can give them a boost. And number two, if I give them a boost without the expectation of return, I learn. Yeah. I learn from them. They are my heroes. Uh, we go to a lot of fancy events, as you know. Yeah. Um, you know, dinners, uh, hundreds of dollars, and charity events, and this, that, and the other thing. I was recently on the ship called The World uh, oh, yeah. for two and a half weeks. And uh, uh, this is about as exclusive a, uh, a place as I've ever been. It, and I was It's asked a giant cruise ship it, that it, people can buy condos and live on and travel the world. Precisely correct. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's for the ultra-affluent, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Well, it, it, for a short period of time, I felt like a pork chop at a bar mitzvah, frankly, <laughs> because I didn't know if I really belonged there. But <laughs> but uh, at any rate, the last night, I, they presented some of our wines from the 80s in, in uh, very large bottles, uh, uh, Imperials. Uh, the wines uh, tasted uh, wonderfully, and I was going to give just a four- or five-minute share. And one of the things that I brought up was, here we are amongst this very affluent crowd, beautiful linen, crystal, uh, plate where wonderfully presented food, but we must never lose track of the fact that one billion people out of our 7.5 billion people live on a dollar a day. Mm. We must be aware of that because the inequity, I believe, is the cause of most societal ills, uh, be it drug abuse, abuse, uh, a crime of various natures. And I think that that difference between the haves and the have-nots is continuing to expand and is probably the most dangerous aspect of our society because it gives way to terrorism and all the other things I mentioned. Well, you say something, and I think this ties in, in this film about you again. It's called Take the Hill. And I, going in, I didn't know what that meant, but it becomes apparent. It goes back to your... Uh, Marine Corps days where you take the hill, you you have this mission, you're you're goal-oriented, you take the hill, and then quite literally in the film, you're walking up the Waipio Valley (laughs) Hill. It's one of the steepest uh, navigable streets, navigable, I can't say that word, it's the braces still trip me up. Um, You know, most rental car companies won't even let you take their cars up and down this, and you are, you're taking the hill, you're going up, but in this, oh, do you want to say something to that? Well, I, I learned a little bit about that. I, I first took that hill in about 1962, and uh, I timed yeah. myself on the way up and just to see how quickly I could make it. And by the time I got to the top, I was exhausted. <laughs> I'm now 81 years old and a little bit slower, but nothing would stop me. I think that our resolve is something that we have to put into ev- 
kindness. Yeah. I think we come up because that's our nature with kind, generous, compassionate thoughts. But they can dissipate. Sometimes they're like a light switch. You can turn those thoughts on easily because mm-hmm. people love to be inspired. But it's easy to turn the switch off. The switch instead should be like a rheostat that you point towards the light and you continue to point it. And you'll have setbacks because we're human. Mm. But you keep on going towards the light and there's no there there. But you just keep on going hopefully in that direction. Very interesting. And I would like to find out about how one develops this and practices this. I want to jump back really quick about the the inequality you were talking about. And you do say in this film, again, take the hill, folks, check it out. It's a, it's a, I guess a short film, but I don't know, 25, 30 minutes. minutes, Yeah. Okay. Well worth seeing. um, Very inspirational. I, again, I left there, changed my perspective, but in that, and I got to be honest, I was surprised to hear you say this Uh, as the owner of the business and a vintner, you were talking about your own wine being $200 a bottle and how you felt that was an injustice, I believe is the word you used. And how do you see that fitting in with the what you've just said about uh, inequality? Where where do you see the, the injustice? Well, I think... And I'm not disagreeing or agreeing. And I often think this myself, by the way, when I see prices of not just wine, but things out there that seem a little kooky in my opinion. But But... What is your philosophy behind making that statement? Well, I think that there's various things in society that are vastly overpriced, and they appeal to those who have done very well uh, uh, financially. Mm-hmm. The injustice is is that we're all humans, uh, and we have opportunities that don't accrue to uh, other people. One thing I'm absolutely convinced of, and that is that America is the land of opportunities. Mm -hmm. Uh, I recently had my uh, 81st birthday, and I took uh, uh, seven young uh, women over to Ireland for a period of uh, 10 days. And I had met these young women about the year 2000, 2005 in that area, and they all were bright, intelligent young women, but with very little opportunity living in either Tibet, Nepal, or India. With a little help, we've boosted them along, and others have helped, and they're now seven college graduates from universities like Columbia and Purdue and University of Wisconsin and University of San Francisco, all being productive citizens in our society. And the only thing that is different about them than most of their contemporaries, they were given a chance and they took advantage of it. And they've been able to flourish. And and that's a, it's a wonderful story. I mean, th- thank you for offering these, uh, not only opportunities to others, but just here talking about them hopefully will inspire others to find opportunities to help those. And you you help, in the, in the film, it spotlights your work it's nepal i believe there's a a children's health center hospital what would you call it it's a well there's there's a general hospital there and we're involved uh in in that hospital in the burn clinic Mm -hmm. uh there's a lot of children being burned in nepal because of uh, cooking stoves and outdoor uh environments like that and then also there was a home for the disabled which when we came upon it 
it was the forgotten of Kathmandu's uh, uh, society. Uh. It was it was uh, people were just shunted away, rarely visited, living in horrendous conditions. And now they live in wonderful conditions, and they have the whole minestrone of disabilities, from uh, from uh, low intelligence to uh, crippling arthritis to uh, blindness, uh, deaf and mute, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But they live in this sense of community, and every time I go there, I learn more from them than I do from what I call the typical sources, which yeah. might be a might be a, a, a podium, it might be a, an altar, it might be a, a monastery or something of that nature. These honestly are my first and best teachers. My first one being a black boy in Birmingham, Alabama, who I spent uh, 20 minutes with one day, four hours in the Birmingham Zoo the next day, and then spoke to him uh, every Sunday night for the balance of his life, which was about a year, a uh, little less than a year. He died in April of 1992 of leukemia, and I still talk to his mother on a mm. weekly basis. And you carry his photo, don't you? I carry his photo in my wallet, and uh, it's tattooed on my heart. Uh, what, what? I'm thinking for myself. I would develop a relationship. I would look at that photo and be heartbroken every time. I see it. What do you get from carrying the photo? Well, first of all, in when you think about time and Stephen Hawking and things of this nature, yeah. uh, his 10 years and the difference between his 10 and my 80 is virtually a, a snap of the fingers. Yeah, it's not much. Uh, what he left behind indoors, uh, he left behind messages and he ignited uh, something inside of me that made me want to practice compassion, not just think about it. See, I believe in compassionate action. Uh, my friend, uh, well, seems presumptuous, but the Dalai Lama, as you know, has been my friend for yeah. about 27 years. Yeah. And, uh, and invariably, our talks have to do with compassionate action and not just keeping uh, positive thoughts in your mind, but bringing them to fruition, there was a quote I read. I think it might have been as part of the description of uh, an event you did with uh, another friend of yours, a high-profile friend, the actor uh, Peter Coyote, at Napa Valley Museum last year, which was um, uh, – it was called Compassionate Action. And there was a quote – and pardon me. I'm paraphrasing now because I don't have it in front of me. But it was talking about how a big part of Buddhist practice – I don't know if it was you that said this, but it says some will sit and – you know, meditate on a flame and you think you need to really get out and do something about it. And then Peter Coyote, there was a quote on there. Let me see if I can find it here. I remember writing it down. It was a good one. Oh, he said that he, this is his quote. I think Dick's practice is total immersion in compassion. It's like you have this, this instinct for it and you know how to jump into action to make it happen. How, how does one get there? How do you go from looking at a flame to then like, making it happen? You you get a uh, – On any level. I mean there are some of us who have the resources to be able to just make things happen and some do not. How, how do we all get to that point? I, I'm glad you said some of us have the resources because I don't think resources have as much to do with okay, it good. As, as, uh, as one would think. Good. I believe that a compassionate action of, of great import is – to not make a homeless person invisible mm. and look away. 
at least look them straight in the eye. Give them a nod. If you choose to give them a dollar or two, give them a dollar or two. If you choose to sit down and have a cup of coffee with them, as I've done many, many times, sit down and let them be human beings. Don't let them become they. I'm very involved right now uh, in uh, the uh, injustices of our prison system. And I'm the first to admit that when I crossed the San Rafael Bridge many times, I thought of both prisoner and prison guards as they. Mm. There's no such thing as they. There's only us. Uh, Oddly speaking, uh, you know, in the Marine Corps, a lot of people uh, uh, think that, well, how can you be a Marine and a compassionate person? But my five years in the Marine Corps... The thing that I learned for the first time in my life, there is no I and me in the Marine Corps. Mm. It is we and us. And that's the way it should be with compassion. Okay. Hold that thought. We're going to get right back onto this. I'd keep going, but, you know, got to pay some bills here. So we'll be right back with Dick Grace. We're talking about compassion and kindness and how we can all be a part of it. You're listening to Judd's Napa Valley Show. We'll be right back after these messages. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Every episode, a veritable cornucopia of finkel fun. And we're back now with Dick Grace. And uh, Dick, it has been such a pleasure talking, and I can't wait to continue this conversation about uh, compassion kindness. Before we do, though, you did bring a couple things that we're going to try to give away to our guests here, and I'm I'm laughing. One of them is a lovely Grace Family Vineyards ball cap. Would look good at any uh, any event and picnic, uh, wine tasting, golf, whatever you do, sailing. And the back says, "Oh, be optimistic." You want? Do you want to? Do you want to explain this? Because it's B E E. And then optimistic is spelled mystic with M-Y-S-T-I-C. So be optimistic is your slogan. We uh, replanted uh, one acre of vineyard uh, out of our three. And uh, I wanted to make it in as much harmony with nature and all the surroundings as possible. So we introduced a few things. We have uh, bat boxes, uh, owl boxes, uh, bluebird boxes, swallow boxes. Uh, we planted a garden, and then we put in uh, three beehives, oh. which have been absolutely fascinating. Now, yeah. you don't need bees to pollinate grapes, but it was more har- harmony, actually, and also the fact that bees are an endangered species down yeah. here in some areas of, of the world. Very worrisome. And so we, that's the bee part, B-E-E. And optimistic, we spelled O-P-T-I-M-Y-S-T-I-C. Yes. And that is uh, the unknown, the spiritual value out there that might guide a person to, uh, to a better life and better choices. I, I I love the philosophy of that. So if nobody claims this, I'm I'm wearing this. And the other item you brought is what's making me laugh here. It is a. Do you want to describe it? Well, it's a wonderful a red T-shirt, slightly used by me, or maybe more than slightly. And uh, it's a Bozo the Clown. And honestly speaking, <laughs> it's central to my whole philosophy. 
I don't care whether the person is a is a CEO of a major corporation or he's doing car parking somewhere. I believe we're all bozos on the bus. Mm. Some of us think we're not, but in reality we are. We're doing the best we can with what we have most of the time. And I have this vision of these clowns coming out of a small vehicle, one after the other, and one was Bozo the Clown when I was a kid at the uh, Ringling uh, Brothers uh, Circus. Uh, Used to be Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey. Mm -hmm. And we stumble around this this path, and and we're a little bit goofus uh, half the time, either internally or externally. Who knows? But I believe from the bottom of my heart that we're all bozos on the bus. One real quick story to uh, to uh, illustrate that. I gave a talk at the University of Colorado to 400 college students. Uh, they were from around America and uh, and selected as potential leaders. And I gave a nice share talking about some of the hardships that Annie and I have gone through living on the Tibetan Plateau for two weeks at a time, 13,000 feet, no toilet, no shower, no hot water, mm. pretty horrible food in an area where people had never never actually seen an Anglo before. Oh. And after the talk, a young college student came up to me and uh, she said, Mr. Grace, she said, what are the luxuries in your life? And I thought for a minute, I guess she was acting, asking me, what type of watch do I wear, a car do mm. I drive, where do I take holiday? Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, the luxury of my life is that I can walk into the Dalai Lama's home in Dharamsala, India, and be warmly greeted by him. And I can walk into a leper colony in Calcutta and be warmly greeted by the lepers. And I don't differentiate. That's honestly the truth. I think we're all bozos on the bus. Truly inspirational. So we're going to give this package away. Be the first to tweet. you got to use Twitter there. Well, we used to call this bit getting your hands on Judd's goodies, but our DA and former chief of police didn't like that phrase, so we haven't come up with anything else, but uh, if you'd like the Bozo the Clown shirt and the Grace Family Vineyards hat, uh, be the first to tweet something. You make it up. You don't use that phrase anymore, but just include the hashtag uh, JNVS for Judd's Napa Valley Show and at Judd's Hill, the first one uh, to tweet. We'll get it, and I'll bring it to the tasting room at Judd's Hill. It'll be there until this coming Friday, at which point I'm taking them home. I, I got to say, not to derail what you're saying, but folks have been asking me lately what my favorite part of a recent European trip we just took. And I get on my soapbox on this show and talk about we all need to get out. We all need to see the world. We, we need – Mark Twain had a famous quote in Innocence Abroad about travel is fatal to prejudice. You got to get out. You've got to – explore other cultures, get, gain their perspective, eat their food, hear their music, learn some of their language, uh, see their art. So I'm always saying, if you don't have a passport, get one. Even if you don't have plans to use it, you want to have it. And at least this guy right here I know was inspired. He went out and got a passport, right, Lauren? I did. And isn't it cool? Do you have it yet? I just got it in the mail. Isn't it fun to have it and hold it and think about what you could do with that? Yes, it is. Okay. So the inspiration is people have been asking. We went on a work trip and I took my kids, the two daughters who you know. We were in France and in Portugal. And folks were saying, what was the, what was the best part of the trip? And I could go on about these great meals we had or the beautiful places we saw, the historic uh, sites. And we did all that. And it was great. But the best thing was seeing them embrace it and being over there, not – not having this entitled feeling like, okay, they do things different over here and it's stupid. It was like, they do things different over here, so let's check it out. Let's see how they do it. 
and be a part of it. And maybe we can take a little of that back. You know, they wanted to share some of that when they got back. And I think, uh, you know, fingers crossed, I think that will go, I, not that I'm worried about them, but I think that will go a long way towards this goal of remaining kind and compassionate people throughout their lives. They're doing a good job now, but you just, you, you want to build that foundation now for ongoing, well, I'll say it again, compassion. What do you think? I have a, I have a philosophy on that. Uh, and, okay. Uh, uh, it's very interesting. I, I say to parents, if they ask me, you know, I don't think giving advice to your kids works very well. I know I took very little from my parents who were very well-meaning when I was a kid. I say, bring your kids along. Yeah. Take them where you're going. Expose them to as many things as you possibly can. Uh, and uh, sometimes we spend so much time within the confines and we spend time with people who are like us. Mm-hmm. Yes. Financially, socially, educationally politically and all those type of things. It's like a horse with blinders on. If you take the blinders off, the world becomes magic and you yeah. and you find a way of finding the heroic heroic aspect of of these individuals. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you for some advice right now. Before we went on the air, you uh, and I were speaking out in the lobby and you talked about you don't have anxiety in your life. You don't have fear in your life. And I think a big block to folks getting out of their comfort zone are those two things. You know, the world can be scary. You see the news, what goes on in different parts of the world or different even parts of our country. Just to travel within our country can be a little scary. So I would ask you how, maybe you've never had it, but how did you eliminate fear and anxiety? And what leads to the well what leads to the practice or the instinct of kindness and compassion those are two questions but i'll let you go for it well yeah i uh, i have felt that i've always been an adventurer mm-hmm. uh, that's for sure and um anxiety is just not a part i don't know how much of it is just plain old dna but i do like <laughs> one acronym i think it's an acronym uh for fear uh, to me, f- uh, fear is false evidence appearing real. Mm. And we convince ourselves that this false evidence is going to be real. I think everybody has some degree of fear regarding heights. Yeah. The fact of the matter is very, very few people have accidentally fallen off a bridge. Very, very uh, How many times has the, f- the reality of something been worse than the fear you had around that reality or that action. I think in most people's life, it's it's a very, very small uh, percentage when the reality is actually worse than their fear, maybe one or two or three percent. But fear is the biggest handicap in my way of thinking uh, to to keeping us from expressing who we really are, having the courage to be the people that we really are and not encumbered by that old bugaboo fear. It's hard to overcome, though. It takes think... practice, maybe. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose we all have to find our path to get through it, but I think practice is the right word. And so where did this – do you think you can identify where this instinct of yours came from for kindness and acts of compassion and being somebody who speaks so passionately about it and acts upon it? I think – 
honestly, that we all have it. Mm-hmm. I think we uh, the, the the problem is translating it into action, and I think it's a series of overcoming uh, one obstacle at a time. I have a I have a saying that I believe in. And that is if you have a proper intent and motivation and you have an obstacle in front of you, you have a choice. You can go over the obstacle. You can go around the obstacle. And if you don't have those choices, you can go through the obstacle. And I think you can always get to there by by getting rid of these obstacles that we think are, are unfathomably difficult. They're just not that difficult. Yeah, I'm going to mull that over for a little while, and I'm going to listen back to this because I think there's a, there's a, a lot of truth there. Is there a you mentioned a weekly practice earlier where you phone people that you don't know? Is that correct? Did I understand that correctly? No, and you uh, have found out that they could use some yeah. pep so, talk or yeah. Sometimes it's a person I don't know. Sometimes it's a person I do know. Sometimes oh, I see. it's a uh, it's a high school friend who has moved away and I oh, haven't I talked to for thirty or forty years. Uh, sometimes it's a person who is uh, struggling with a disease or uh, some type of disorder or has lost a loved one or something of that nature. And sometimes it's just a friend I haven't spoken with. And certainly, if I was at odds with anybody, yeah, I would make the call. I would make the call because, uh, frankly, being at odds uh, with another individual can often be cured very easily just by bringing uh, a degree of kindness and listening to them. Uh, I think Thich Nhat called it compassionate listening. I found that to be true as well. I like your idea of making these phone calls every week and perhaps may incorporate that into my own uh life. Uh, it seems like something I would enjoy doing. I like staying connected to people. And on those rare instances where I really have had uh, these falling outs, it's difficult, but I'm a firm believer in picking up the phone. It's not even a text or an email because so much gets lost. Uh, the tone of voice gets lost. Any humor or sarcasm, which sometimes can lead to the falling out in the original, can get lost in that. And just having a conversation. Somebody you really might not even want to be talking to can make the world of difference. And I, I know the few times that I have done this in my life, every single time it has had a positive outcome. We may not have become as close as we once were, but that, 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 that awkwardness is gone. And I feel like I can have a relationship and be at peace, at least in that segment of my life. And you have a story I'd like you to tell, if you wouldn't mind. You, you related it that day at the Cameo Cinema about a ring you had made. Yes, that's correct. There's an old-time uh, jeweler in North Beach that I used to uh, stop by his uh, his father's shop, actually, in the, in the mid-1950s, if you can believe that. <laughs> the wedding ring is actually uh, was a friendship ring. It was made in 1954. Yeah. But I did. I, I designed a ring. Uh, my father had a debilitating uh, struggle with depression. I only wish in my life that he had had access uh, to the medications that are now available. Uh, and I've had my bouts with uh, depression, but fortunately, not 
for the last decade for some reason. Mm-hmm. It may come again. Hope it doesn't. But cool. if it does, I'll be able to handle it. There was a story uh, or actually a documentary film made called The Bridge. Oh, yeah. uh, and it was hard to watch. But I like watching everything uh, from a spiritual persuasion uh, uh, to mixed martial arts. <laughs> We're all human beings doing what we do. And so uh, I had this ring designed. Uh, one side of it is the sun coming up over the bay. It's kind of a reminder uh, of optimism. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the other side is the, the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, and I had it engraved uh, in there, hand engraved. And there's a moon setting on Mount Tam because whether I like it or not, my life is setting I, uh, uh, at 81 years old. That's just the reality. And most people think that the bridge is there. Because uh, I've traveled it over over it hundreds of times and flown over it one or two hundred times and sailed under it too many times. But it's because of this documentary film that it's there. It showed a number of people who had jumped and ended their lives uh, uh, by committing suicide off the bridge. And then uh, there was uh, three people interviewed. First was a man who had jumped and survived, which was less than one. And then two women uh, came to talk about their experience with attempting to end their lives. And the second woman, the last question, I'll I'll never forget her answer. And I I think about it daily. Uh, The interviewer said that the responders were there and, and, and she hesitated. She was a real jumper. She was ready to go. And she hesitated for a nanosecond which allowed the responders to to snatch her and basically save her life. And the interviewer said, what was it that caused you to hesitate for that second, that split second? I'll never forget her answer. She said, on the way out to mid-span, there was a man returning to the parking lot. He looked me straight in the eye and said, have a nice day. And I knew someone cared for me. Wow. And that's right in context with what I believe. Never measure a compassionate action. Some little tiny thing that you do might have a profound effect. And what you thought might be quite uh, quite grand in scheme uh, – uh, might not amount to much in the long in the long term. Uh, we uh, refreshed uh, some uh, schools and built one medical clinic uh, in Tibet. Uh, and I was kind of proud of what I did. And subsequent to that, the Chinese government decided that they would uh, close these facilities, even though they catered to um, uh, Chinese kids and Tibetan kids uh, with equality. And so what I thought was pretty grand doesn't exist anymore. And this man basically saved someone's life and probably doesn't even know it. So an act of kindness can have a profound effect. Absolutely. And you say it's hard to measure. And Lauren is going to – do you want to say goodbye, Lauren? Lauren has to slip out. Bye, everybody. Okay. We will see you uh, soon, sir. And good luck today. Off off to great adventures. Sorry to have you leave early, but we'll see you soon. Yeah. You know, I never really thought about measuring Mm. compassion. And you do hear people say, oh, just like a – you know, oh, I just said hello to someone, right? You know, just give them a smile. It's a little thing you can do. But really, why is that a little thing? It's – a compassionate thing and i think that's what matters right we're just basically not wise enough to know we we think we might be but we're not we <laughs> don't know what little act 
might have a profound effect, as I said. Well, that story of uh, the woman on the Golden Gate Bridge certainly changed my perspective, whereas I would think – and I always talk about, oh, just give someone a smile. It's a little thing you can do. Well, you just proved that's not a little thing. It literally saved someone's life. A smile, hello, how you know, have a nice day. Looking someone in the eye, making them feel real. I think a, a challenge that I, I always like if I'm going into a group, there's always some people who are well-known and they're doing well and they're very personable, et cetera, et cetera. I always try and seek out the person who might be dealing with some some type of physical defect or might be not quite as popular and uh, uh, not quite as well-versed and quite as social as the others. And to seek these people out and draw them out and give them uh, – to make them comfortable from a place of being uncomfortable yeah. is just a grand thing to do. I, I, I see it. And uh, seeing this film, again, it's called Take the Hill, about our guest Dick Grace uh, – well worth seeing. Do you want to speak briefly about, I don't know if you had a name for it, but you recall reading about a, a, a ceremony where you would identify humanitarians and recognize them. I think the your friend, the Dalai Lama, was involved in this. Uh, seemed like a wonderful thing to do. We did four events called Unsung Heroes of Compassion, 2001, 2005, 2009, 2014. I'm hopeful of doing another one, but not certain. Okay. And what we did was not get leaders of various organizations, but but the grunts, the people in the line that were holding the babies and changing uh, the diapers mm. and inviting homeless into their homes and, uh, and dealing with autistic uh, kids, not in any university setting but in a village setting and uh, all these type of people who spent a portion of their lives the assistant scrub nurses for example at uh, eye clinics or whatever it was and uh, we identified uh, 25 men and 25 women each year for gender equality from around the world Uh, we've had 36 countries uh, represented and we brought them all together for unsung heroes of compassion. When you entered a room with these heroes, goodness was palpable. Mm. Uh, these were people who had dedicated their time, effort, energy, vision of the future to giving a chance to people who were suffering from physical disorders or lack of opportunity. It was not a fundraiser. We decided uh, to have the event lose money every year. We never sold anything. Uh, we sold out immediately, and and the Dalai Lama loved the event because it was regular folks doing regular things and giving a hand so that people had a chance. Well, on behalf of humanity, I say thank you. We do have to go off the air right now, but if you can stay for just a few minutes, we'll keep recording a little extra podcast content for folks to listen to later. Dick Grace, thank you so much for being here today, and thank you so much for what you're what you're just doing doing for all of us. Thank you, uh, Judd. Thank you. Aloha. Aloha. All right. I knew it would happen. Uh, we were going to run out of time. There's just so much to talk about. We could go on for more hours and hours uh, discussing what we've been talking about. I've, it gives me great satisfaction to hear you talk about it and be able to, uh, to relate and be inspired. But I do have to ask you one question before I let you go. And that is, um, boy, oh, boy. How to even bring this up after what we've talked about, but I'm going to do it. And it is quite personal. So if you don't care to answer, I know you don't know fear or anxiety. So you probably will be fearless in answering this question. Take the hill as it were, but I'm going to ask anyway. Do you, Dick Grace, 
Do you go nuts for donuts? Uh, Do you like donuts? Well, in that case, I'm going to put this pink box in front of you, and I just want to uh, invite you to take one. Only one? You can take them all. It's my gift, but if you're going to eat one right now, we've got a, uh, let's see, we've got a selection. He goes for the the crumb, the classic. He takes his coffee black and his donuts crumbed. Uh, one of my favorites. You didn't go for the pink glaze, the maple old-fashioned, or the chocolate rays, but I am going to give you that box to take with you to enjoy all of those. No follow-up questions about donuts. There you go. I used to do that with my guests, and they got a little silly. Silly-er, I guess it would be <laughs> the word. Uh, unfortunately, Lauren Mole has had to leave for a uh, previously engaged appointment, so I'll say it for him. This is Mad Libs. We're going to play everyone's favorite party game here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. You're a good sport to be up for this. I'd like to get a little insight to my guests, more than they would share during the course of the talk through this little game. Are you ready to play? No. Oh, well. <laughs> that's okay. I can understand you. I'm, <laughs> I'm well-versed in uh, understanding through donut. Well-practiced. I'm ready. All right. Here we need a number, any number. Five fifty five. I understand five is important to you. Do we get into that now or is that for another another story? There's uh, five letters in our last name. Mm-hmm. There's five in our family. Um, and uh, that that's a couple of things. I'm really superstitious and uh, so five is uh, our codes, all types of things. Just five is it. And I was born in the fifth month. Okay. I think January, February, March, April. Yes, fifth month, May. So five is a is a number I've always cherished. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that. And I got distracted just for a moment when I realized your mic had not been on for the donut piece, but it probably came through. We'll just pretend it did and uh, let everyone know he chose the crumb. He's a man of of great yep. uh, tradition there. Okay, it's on now, and now we know why five. Okay. So the number you chose was 555. Uh, an adjective, a descriptor of some sort. Awesome. How about awesome? Awesome. I like that one. It gets uh, misused often, but I feel like I am in awe when I hear about um, people like you doing what you do. Another adjective. Oh, let's see. How about uh, fantabulous? That's kind of one I made up. <laughs> I like it. Fantabulous. Right. I think we can figure out what that means. Uh, a noun, just any kind of thing. A thing? Yeah. How about a hippopotamus? <laughs> okay. An endangered species because of some of the uh, predilections of some people on the planet. Uh, sadly so. This is true. Uh, although I remember there was a plan in the... 19th century or something some one of our leaders here in this country uh thought about importing them to release in the swamps maybe down in louisiana for uh food sources and have you tasted one i know good no, okay no. yeah i don't know I obviously the, i didn't catch on as a food source but they they do seem to be remarkable okay sorry Ooh, rapid fire, three adjectives right in a row. See what you can come up with. Ooh, kind, loving, sweet. Ooh, kind, loving, sweet. Almost done here, Dick. Okay, a plural noun. In fact, two plural nouns. 
Okay, uh, let's see. Zealot. Uh, I've uh, I used to disdain uh, the. the the zealot. Now I am one, and uh, you're a good one as far as I'm concerned. Another one. Yeah. How about a bozo on the bus? Bozos. All right. Once again, here we go. <clears throat> so earlier, I was uh, exploring around online, and I came across this website for GraceFamilyVineyards.com, a business you started about 40 years ago or so. One of the first cult wines here in Napa Valley. And on this website, there is a bit of biographical information about you, which you have now just rewritten via this Mad Libs game. Are you ready to hear this? Yes. I, I, hope, you, I hope you smile. I hope you laugh. Let's see. Here we go. <clears throat> this is all about you from gracefamilyvineyards.com. After leaving the U.S. Marine Corps in 1964, Dick Grace became a stockbroker in San Francisco while he and his wife Anne raised Kirk, Mark, and Kim in the suburban comfort of Orinda. All right. We're good? All right. Then, 555 years ago, Dick and Anne first arrived with their awesome family. That one worked out. That was good. With their awesome family in the Napa Valley. From these fantabulous beginnings came Grace Family Vineyards Hippopotamus Sauvignon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Forget that Cabernet stuff. That's the reason you were the cult wine. It was that Hippo Cab or Hippo Sauvignon. <laughs> their wines were renowned for their refined kindness, lovingness, and sweetness. I think character-wise sweetness. Probably not too much residual sugar in there. But perhaps most importantly, this is you and your family's business now but perhaps mo- more importantly their ethos of zealots and bozos was instilled from day one how there about that I, th- I think that works 100 <laughs> percent. there you go on that note we will uh, wrap up this show and i'll thank you once again for being here it's been a pleasure it was my pleasure all right thanks dick judd's napa valley show is a gillamar production judd's napa valley show